0: welcome to the people performance podcast my name is renee vincelli i'm a former corporate executive in banking former project management director mother of three turned consultant and coach for those who want to grow their individual team and organizational capability each week i deliver an episode focused on my two favorite topics people and performance thank you for spending some time with me today hello everyone and welcome to the people performance podcast i've got a very special guest for you all today Looking forward to having Tia Graham with us here today. Before I get into um, Tia's background and share a bit of an introduction of her, I thought I would put an offer out there for all of my podcast listeners. I think all of you know, um, at least I've shared on the show pretty regularly, my love for coaching, my love for personal development, both for both me and my uh, clients and my uh, associates and folks that I come uh, come across in my day-to-day work. And I um, am currently making an offer um, to folks on this podcast and, and really to anybody that's interested. And the offer is that if there is a dream you have that you are interested in achieving, if there is a goal that you would like to achieve, really something that you want to do that's on your heart, on your mind, and you are looking for some coaching, you are looking for a coach to help you get there, and you're interested in working f- with a coach uh, for free for some length of time, please contact me. So send me a message. Uh, you can reach me at renee at reneevincelli.com. You can um, find me on LinkedIn. But get in touch with me because I am um, putting together something for folks um, that may interest you. And so if there's something on your heart, something on your mind, something you want to achieve, and you have a goal that you're looking looking to get make some progress on, uh, please give me give me a shout out. Uh, send me an email. Find me on LinkedIn. Get a hold of me in some way, and I can give you some more information. I would look forward to it and would love the opportunity. So, without further ado, I wanted to introduce our guest for today, um, Tia Graham. Tia is the founder of Arrive at Happy. She is the author of a really excellent book, Be a Happy Leader. I've read the book, loved the book. Um, pretty short read, not a lot, uh, not a lot to it in terms of uh, difficult to get get through or anything like that. A really great book. Um, Tia is also a keynote speaker and the founder, like I said, of Arrive at Happy. She has worked with global companies such as Goldman Sachs, Four Seasons, and the American Heart Association to reduce turnover and to drive a bottom line results. With multiple certifications in neuroscience, positive psychology, leadership coaching, which I love, and employee morale, she has supported leaders for five years at her company, Arrive at Happy. Prior to uh, to running and founding Arrive at Happy, she led sales and marketing teams at luxury hotels in the United States and Europe for brands such as the W Hotels, Westin, and The London. She has a business degree in tourism from the University of Hawaii. As a certified chief happiness officer, what a title, she partners with executives to boost profit and performance utilizing her evidence-based arrive at happy business growth process. Tia has been featured on CNN, she's been featured in Forbes, Thrive Global, and Fast Company. And without further ado, I introduce to you all Tia Graham. Tia, thank you so much for being with me today. I have been um, so excited to have you here on my podcast and to talk about your book, Be a Happy Leader. So thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You have got um, such an interesting professional and personal background Um, that really comes through in your book, um, which I know we're going to get into in quite a bit of detail, Um, And a lot of your story and a lot of your background um, resonates with me quite a bit from a a few different perspectives. So why don't you tell the audience a bit about yourself, both professionally and personally, before we start talking about the book?
1: Okay, well, thank you so much. So on the personal side, I grew up in northern Canada, on the west coast of Canada, and my parents um, were in the ski industry and um, had a pretty happy-go-lucky sort of first decade of my life. Um, Unfortunately, my, I would say the, the big first huge sort of challenge I went through was around sort of age 10, 11, my parents separated and went through a quite tumultuous divorce. And of course, that was really stressful, the family breaking up, all the changes. And I have two younger sisters, so I'm the eldest. And um, my father became really, really unhappy. And he's usually a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. You know, his happiness was dwindling and becoming less and less. And I tell the story in the book. And mm-hmm. um, one of the, the a, a lesson I learned really early on is after several years of being so unhappy, he made a conscious decision to choose happiness. And you know, his exact words were, I'm not going to have another bad year. Mm. And I saw him Intentionally make that choice and make changes in his life. So that lesson and just the way he's lived his life has really inspired me to try to uh, make choices and have have a you know happy life as possible. And um, so yeah, that that definitely has stuck with me. Um, and on the career side, I worked in the hotel industry in luxury hotels for approximately about 15 years or so. Um, and I was a director of sales and marketing. So I actually graduated from the University of Hawaii, made my way from Canada to the Hawaiian Islands. And um, I led sales and marketing teams in for resorts in Hawaii, in Manhattan. Uh, I was in Istanbul, Turkey for a couple of years, and then also in Los Angeles. And positive leadership and being a inspirational, great leader was always really important to me. And I had really great leaders. And then I also had toxic, really negative leaders, which was Mm -hmm. one of the inspirations, you know, motivations to write the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I went back to work after having my second daughter, I was really struggling with my own happiness. I was overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, angry, super sad, full of work guilt, full of mom guilt. Mm -hmm. And um, during this time in life is when I started researching happiness and researching what makes people thrive at home and at work. Um, And that's when I went on the journey to create my company, Arrive at Happy. Um, And it was really out of this this place of deep unhappiness Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I actually discovered the science of happiness and neuroscience and 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 everything else.
0: I love that so much of what you just said. I think um, resonates with the audience here and certainly with me. I, I love what you said about your dad, and you do talk about your dad in the book and his desire to sort of chart a new path after going through a pretty difficult experience with a divorce. And you know, I was it's interesting. I saw um, just in the past couple of days, someone uh, posted something on LinkedIn or an email or I forget, forget even what it was, but they were talking about how the behavior of parents, whether they be positive or negative in terms of just personal behavior, happiness, mood, stress levels, all of that has such an impact on their children and, and we don't even know it. And so, you know, you're just a great example of that. Um, you know, your, your father's experience leading you ultimately to want something different. And certainly what you said about positive um, leadership and, and managers um, good ones and bad ones affecting us is there's no doubt there's a lot to that. So, you know, like you said in your book, and you use, like I said, the example of your father is a great example of this, but you, you talk in your book very openly and authentically about your personal story, um, some of the other low points Um, personally and ultimately, you know, how you came to this point and, you know, certainly the, the aspect of being a mother and and leaving your children, I think is one of those, one of those points for, for a lot of people certainly was for me. Um, are there any other experiences that you would point to that you feel like shaped this direction beyond the ones that you've, you've already mentioned here?
1: Um, yes. So, um, One that really comes to mind is I was very lost and uninspired Mm -hmm. um, and and directionless in my early 20s, sort of, well, 18, 19, you know, 20, really that time period. And um, I had always liked school. I'd always done well in school, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. I actually dropped out after one semester of university. I was partying a lot and you know waitressing and just yeah just the just lost comes to mind and I and I I hit rock bottom in a lot of different ways one you know my my boyfriend at the time totaled my car so all of a sudden I was carless and all of these different things and I remember thinking I'm more than this like this isn't this isn't my life I'm I'm not in it, not in it, like I'm better, but just like, I, yeah. you know, I'm more than this than, than what was happening at the time. And um, I went and I found an internship and I went and worked on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. And that summer really sparked inspiration inside of me, gave me hope, you know, made me realize like, okay, there, there are lots of different possibilities and opportunities for you so that that's definitely one one that comes to mind um for sure Mm -hmm. and then I don't know if we're gonna get to it but yeah I mean the the decision to to actually leave the hotel industry was a big one of finding the bravery and the the confidence to actually do something that i never done before and, and, and change my identity because my identity was so, um, aligned with being a director of sales and marketing in a hotel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. So I, I, um, I think the part of your book and in your story that really strikes me quite a bit is the similarity that I have with it, with leaving a pretty long-term career, right? So, you know, mine is in banking and leaving banking after close to 20 years of, you know, climbing the ladder, if you will, in a corporate banking sort of environment. And for you, you know, very clearly a lot of success in um, hotels and in hospitality and just tons of success and a lot of great travel too, by the way. I mean, just hearing, reading and hearing about some of the places you've been and have been able to live and work. Very, very cool. Hawaii being my favorite. But, um, you know, to your point, a lot of people don't choose to make a choice, like what we, what you've done, what I've done and leave these very big corporate careers. And so I, I'm very curious from your perspective, what it is that, you know, what it is that you feel like inside of you just caused you to do that and, and what it is that you think holds a lot of people back and what advice you'd give them. Because I, I do think there are a lot of people that are dissatisfied, especially, you know, lately and just the way the world has been. And so for you, you know, what was it and, and what, um, what, what advice would you give folks?
1: Yes. So such a great question. And, you know, I tell people don't settle life is life is short. You don't, you know, mm-hmm. tomorrow's not a given. And so if you're feeling really dissatisfied and disengaged, you know, don't don't settle because you can really, really be happy with, with what you're doing with work and who you're working with. So for me it was, it was moving away from pain, mm-hmm. the pain that I felt, and this is my own journey, right? This mm-hmm. isn't any, you know, everyone, everyone's is their own. For me, the pain of missing so much of my daughter's days mm-hmm. was so great. It was so painful and especially even evenings. Cause I, as a director of sales marketing, we would have client events and then I wouldn't put them, I wouldn't see them you know, from seven 30 AM and I wouldn't even put them to bed. I'd come back when they were sleeping. So that emotional, psychological pain that I felt Mm -hmm. was such a massive motivator to move away from. And Tony Robbins always talks about, you know, moving away from pain, I think is, is more effective than going towards pleasure that, that, you know, just that human need. Yeah. So that's what it was for me. So I would say to people, you don't need to be a parent or I would just say to people, if you truly want to make changes, connect with that pain, because that pain is powerful and those painful emotions are information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So spend time there, understand it. Whether you work with a coach, I had a coach, you know, or a therapist or journaling. Get connected to what that, you know, what it is if you are dissatisfied, Mm -hmm. because that can inform what you need, you know, and I would say, get clarity on how you want to feel, get clear on how you don't want to feel and then get clarity on how you do want to feel.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about, um, your, your children and, and that pain, I, I had a little bit of that myself, um, after I had my first son and I, I found that the only thing, you know, I've talked about this on this podcast before and in different, different forums, the only thing that made it somewhat okay for me was the focus of people and the focus of, helping other people, which is, I know the big focus of, of, of your work too. And, you know, it took me several years before I ultimately left all of that, but left that corporate, corporate life. But, you know, you, you start to make these mental calculations in your head, you know, you, when you're at those client happy hours and dinners and things or in a work setting and your children at home and you're going, okay, is this really worth it? Like being in this environment, focusing on this work or this particular person in this way, and my kids at home having milestones and doing cool things and, like, what's worth it here? Like, is this really worth it? And so I I completely understand what you're saying. And I, I think your advice, uh, advice to others that are experiencing similar things or maybe very different things um, is good. It's very good advice. And
1: I will say thank you for sharing your your piece because I I felt very torn and I felt very conflicted because I loved my hotel career. Same with mm-hmm. you. I loved leading salespeople and working with, with, with people. And, um, it wasn't easy. It was, I I don't know if it would be easier if you hated your career and then you're like, okay, I, you know, it it was, it was a process and an unraveling and, and understanding that things could be different. But, um, I think I also went through, I was going through some, a little bit of grieving too, that, oh, you know, this, this other part of my life that I really love needs to change. And I've been there for so long. Did you feel any of that?
0: Yeah, it, it, you know, it is such a, an identity piece, right? So absolutely. I did. I I think, um, you, you wrap up your career in certain things that you become, or you think you become. And so like, I like that you use the word unraveling you, you have to kind of unravel some of your own perceptions of yourself and some of your own ideas of who you are and sort of reshape it again. And so I liked my job, right? I loved what I did. I loved the, the, the knowledge I had gathered over all of those years. And you have to kind of divorce yourself a little bit from, from some of that. And that, that can be very hard and very jarring in a way.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Divorce is a great word. Yep. (laughs) Yes.
0: So Tia, this is great. I, I appreciate the perspective. And, you know, I would just encourage folks and we'll talk about it again at the end of the end of the podcast here. You know, the book has got so many of, of these nuggets and tidbits and experiences and stories from Tia's life and perspective, which I think are so informative and relatable. And so I encourage everybody to get the book um, Amazon, wherever, wherever you get your books, I think uh, is, is good advice um, if you want to read more here. So Tia, in the book, you you talk about your be a happy leader methodology and the eight steps that are included in it. can you share with um, the group here the, the audience that we have today what is included in your methodology for be a happy leader?
1: Yes, so I won't you'll have to grab be happy leader to get all <laughs> get all the nuggets so let me let me give people an overview so they can get a sense of, of the methodology. So I created this by reflecting back on my years of leading teams in the hotel industry, as well as the science of happiness, neuroscience research, you know, what I learned when I became a chief happiness officer and sort of said, if if I could, if I could give this book to the 26 year old Tia, Mm -hmm. this is what I wish that she knew then. So the first step is start with you. And this is all about prioritizing your own happiness and making choices based on research to increase your happiness because the research shows if you are happy and positive, not all the time, not toxic positivity, but that you will be more successful. The next step is to zoom out. So this is about having a wide perspective and understanding that the reality you experience is not reality. It's just yours. So how can you see things from different perspective whether that be stakeholders, people on your team. Of course you can use this in your personal life too. Step 3 is execute brilliantly. I say that a happy leader is one who's not working all the time. Mm-hmm. So these are really my productivity, efficiency, clarity and focus strategies because when I had kids and I was in the hotel, I would only work from mm-hmm. 8:30 to 5 and I would stop and Even now, you know, I get a lot done, but I don't work that many hours. And Mm -hmm. so that's what that step's about. Um, Step four is prioritize relationships over to-do lists. So this is how to cultivate very close, authentic, trusting relationships with every single person on your team. And by doing so, your to-do list will shrink and the results will, will grow. And then the next step related is I call it your number one priority. So your number one priority is your team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is how to create a team that's full of trust, psychological safety, friendship and connection so that the te- team moves faster together, you know, is more creative and just has better results. Next is measure to excel. So this is about how I learn to measure lead measures as opposed to lag measures, measuring the activities that drive results and and how I led my team in doing so. And then step seven is be the spark. This is about the relational energy you bring to work or in your personal life and how to have more positivity than negativity, how to be more optimistic than pessimistic and really how to energize and inspire the people that, that you work with. And then step eight is Mastering your mindset. So this is about being consciously curious and being open and saying yes, more than you say no. And, you know, using um, Carol Dweck's uh, amazing, incredible research about just growth mindset, always knowing that you are a work in progress. We all are, you know, to continuously learn and grow and to never feel that, oh, I've arrived. I know everything. Um, but just to be that lifelong lifelong learner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so important. I think lifelong learning is is such a key with personal growth and happiness. Um, you know, Tia, in the in the methodology, and just from reading the book and in the conversation we've already had today, this whole notion of starting with you, I feel like it's just so important to the success of all of this, um, because, you know, what I see a lot and what I saw in a corporate setting when I was, you know, when I was in a corporate environment is a lot of people are kind of white knuckling their way through their day and through their, Mm -hmm. through their time with, um, with their teams, with their colleagues, with their leaders, uh, their peers, whoever it might be. And they're just trying to do everything without that foundation of their own happiness and Mm -hmm. typically it doesn't, doesn't really go well. So I'm curious your perspective on that and why this step is so critical. I think it's somewhat, somewhat intuitive, but what does your experience tell you as you've been working with clients and different folks when it comes to trying to white knuckle your way through and not starting with you?
1: Yeah. I really like how you said that the white knuckle, that's such a strong visual. Yes. I mean, work and because of technology, of course it, it, penetrates and invades all aspects of our lives and obviously with the pandemic our home life and so self care whether that be your spiritual well-being your physical taking care of your physical body your mental health right your psychology taking time to learn and grow investing in your relationships really taking care of your emotional health all of these pieces take time take effort and intention and Because leaders and because executives are so busy and the to-do lists are so long and, you know, technology is, our phones are always with us. It's like work is always there. Mm -hmm. It is difficult to say, oh, you know what? I should probably go for a 30 minute walk outside because Mm -hmm. I know that is good. That would be good for my mind, body, and soul, Mm -hmm. but I don't have the time. I think that's the biggest struggle for people. I don't have the time. Or if I stay up just a little bit longer and answer all these emails and I'll only sleep five hours because I can, you know, I can get by on five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that it's, it's this feeling of not having time and there is such a uh, drive. And, and I say, I'm like a recovering, well, I am. Rec- I used to be a workaholic and work all the time is that you get such the accolades, the mm-hmm. adrenaline, mm-hmm. when you, when you get promoted, when you do great job, right. You get, there's such, um, positive feedback for you with, with working more, working harding, getting more success, mm-hmm. but it's a trap. Yep. It's a trap. And so when, you know, someone on their deathbed, no one is like, Oh, I wish I worked more hours. They're like, I wish I spent more time with my kids i wish i spent more time taking care of myself i wish i appreciated just the sunshine yeah. sitting in my yard you know all of these things so um my advice is is to see self care and see taking care of your well-being as not separate from your business plan like it is one mm-hmm. that if you are happy and if you are well You are going to be more successful. You know, there's so much research that shows this, whether it be selling more, being more productive, being more creative and innovative, having less turnover in your company, having higher customer scores and, you know, customer loyalty, et cetera. You know, if you're a student getting better grades. So people see it as separate. It's like, oh, work. And then oh, I should take care of myself and not realizing that you will be better and more successful when you take care of yourself. And there's so much research behind it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's a little bit of a curveball question, but I'll ask it anyway, because I think it's an interesting thing to talk about. The, the thing, I think the one thing that's in conflict with what you're describing are companies Mm -hmm. themselves, right? Because what you said is that and I totally agree with this, that you you're rewarded for, you know, being up all hours and responding to emails and, you know, not taking the walk and doing that meeting and just cramming more in and just the the toll it takes on your mental health. Isn't something people see, at least not quickly until the day you burn out and, you know, you're kind of checking out mentally in some way, but in the day to day, they're like, wow, this is great. This person is a workhorse. They're getting things done. They assume you're happy because you keep doing it. So how do companies begin to get this? I think, you know, the pandemic to some degree has highlighted that we need to get this more as a society, but what have you seen there with the work you've done?
1: Such a great question. The, the largest factor are the leaders, the executives at the top, mm-hmm. walking the walk.
0: Yeah. Yep. Always. So
1: for, Right. So for example, having someone say, you know, Family, family is important to mm-hmm. us and, and it's and it's important to you as well. And so we encourage you to connect and spend time with your friends and family on the weekends. and you know to, we encourage that you go to your child's you know games, etc, and actually having leaders do that. And then also, and I just heard the CEO of Microsoft speak last week. he was so brilliant about, having rules and boundaries around activities such as emails on the weekends. And so if Mm -hmm. if there's leaders that are spending, sending emails on the weekends, have the rules set up. So people receive those emails on Monday. Otherwise it's affecting their mental health when they're with their family and their friends.
0: Mm -hmm. And so,
1: yeah. And so um, that's why I'm super passionate about working with leaders because of the influence that they have on so many people's lives. And so I really truly believe that they need to, they need to walk. They need to walk the walk. And Mm -hmm. sometimes do you answer emails late at night? Yes, of course. And you know, you're climbing the corporate ladder. You want to be doing everything fully. I get it. I was there. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. sometimes I do that still too, depending on what's going, I just did a book launch. I was working like (laughs) crazy, right. But it's understanding balance and, and knowing your, your physical, emotional cues that You where, so you can, you can prevent burnout, you can prevent, you know, very negative health, mental health experiences. And I think it's also just talking about all of these things in the workplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, companies are a big, big factor in the success here and beginning to reward some of this, this behavior we're talking about. And I think, like you said, the leaders are probably the single biggest, um, driver of the success or not, for folks in this this space, I know over the years when I've seen executives or senior leaders that have role modeled, being spending time with family, taking care of itself, you know, putting putting boundaries in place around email or calendar, um, anything like that. It sort of gives you a silent permission, especially if you're early in your career, right? Like if you're in your, you know, say your early twenties or mid twenties, and you're just starting out think it gives you a little bit of a sense of, wow, this this is normal. This is good to be this way. And I, I wish we wish we had more of that um, in in companies than, than we do. So one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, you know, when you think about being an effective leader and one of the stories in your book, I'll just share this with, with the audience you, you talk about in the book. Um, a, an example where you had to, I think it was suspend an employee and hold someone accountable for results. Yeah, I And it, it. It, it really struck me because I, I thought, wow, here's a person who has um, written a book about happiness and who is not in any way, in that example, demonstrating weakness or, you know, lack of accountability or lack of, holding someone to expectations that you had. I think people sometimes they struggle with, you know, can I be kind? Can I be both you know, happy and kind and polite to people and good to people, but also have um, expectations and standards and hold folks accountable and achieve business results that are, that are maybe pretty high? So how do you square those two things, right? I, I, I can square them for myself. I think they can be done. I think, you know, done well, it's a, it's, it's a really good environment, but how do you kind of make sense of all of that challenge that can exist for folks?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking about that. So, one of the fast, I want to say, tracks or you know, trains to a unhappy team is when people are not held accountable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, of course, this is difficult to do. It it's it's easier to just let performers, whether it be the way that they're interacting on the relationship side or on the result side. And yes, in that story, I suspended and then actually terminated. And and over the years, I had to terminate different people for, for different, um, behavior challenges or not, not, you know, basically doing their job description. Mm -hmm. And of course it gets the, the, the more you do it, you get more experienced and more comfortable, but it's never easy because it's someone's life and livelihood, mm-hmm. but knowing that the overall health of the team is more important. And I had someone, one of my leaders say this to me that people don't fire people, people fire themselves. hmm And that really, because I always would feel so, um, of course I would feel bad. It would be stressful. I would be like, oh my, you know, all of these, all of these emotions and these thoughts, but if you have coached them and I talk a lot about coaching in the book, if you have coached Mm -hmm. them and helped them with every way that you can and gone through these, these, the the process of, you know, having verbal conversations and, and then written, and I would always partner with my HR leaders, my people leaders to do this properly, you know, if at some point you then need to, to make the decision and, you know, and, and separate understanding that that's the best action for the health of the team, mm-hmm. because whether it's an underperformer in on the result side, or the way, you know, if you have someone that's extremely toxic and treats people really badly, even though it's difficult to let them go you owe that to everyone else that's still there yeah and yep. and the happiness and the well-being of everyone that that is there and and that is not doing those things
0: yeah absolutely i you know having had to have uh those sorts of conversations at different points myself my goal was always to be perceived by anyone in any scenario as being fair and mm-hmm. being authentic and being honest right so you know you fair and kind, even in the most difficult of circumstances, I think a lot of times if, if somebody is being laid off or let go or fired or whatever it might be, if they can look at you as the leader and say, you know what, maybe I don't like this. Maybe I don't agree with it, but I was treated fairly and they were honest with me about what I was missing or what wasn't happening. That's way better than, you know, maybe the experience that you've had, or I've had, where you've dealt with a manager that is, um, you know, toxic or very difficult to work with and maybe is unfair. So I, I think, um, I think you're right on because the health of the team ultimately is the, is the thing you have to be the most concerned with when you're a leader of people.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So Tia happiness, this, this notion of happiness, it's such a big term, right? And it's, it's such a, um, such a maybe misunderstood thing, right? It doesn't mean you're always going to be joyful and, you know, smiling every single day. You're going to have hard things. Um, to, I think particularly in today's day and age and today's world with just all the things going on around us, it's, it's very big aspiration for a lot of people and it's very challenging. And if you think about the fact that we just, you know, I think we're at this point, I hope we can say that we're coming off of this pandemic that we've been through over the past couple of yes. years, we've got, you know, war in the world. We've got a pretty difficult economy, uh, at least here in the United States, we've got just a lot of things going on that are challenging. And so for a lot of people pursuing happiness, um, it can feel pretty overwhelming and maybe even scary mm-hmm. to think about given all that is on our minds and all the things we have to think about. So what would you recommend as you know, just one or two little things that someone can do to really get them on the right track? toward um, happiness and really act as a a catalyst for change in their own lives?
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Such a great question. So the first would be the reframe of not pursuing happiness, but choosing it. Mm, I love it. Yeah. So, and knowing I would say, I mean, it's, it's very complex and there isn't just one or two things, right? There, there's a lot that goes. And the, the, I would say just looking into the science of happiness, whether that be books, Ted talks, taking the free Yale science of happiness class would, mm-hmm. it would be a fantastic resource for someone that wants to understand proven ways to increase their well being. Um, but if I were to say one or two things, one would be understanding that every single thing that you do with your body affects your mind. Mm. So we live in a world where the beauty industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Everyone wants to look good. And I say, you want to take care of your physical body because it makes you feel well. Mm -hmm. So movement and eating good food and going outside, sleeping at least seven hours a night, meditating, stretching, all of these mm-hmm. activities and all of these choices, yep, you know, are, um, affect your happiness. So it's not about how you look, it's about how you feel. So that's one. And then the second thing I would say is be very connected this might sound a little crazy to you, be very connected with your being on your deathbed. So if if someone said you have six months to live, how would you spend your time? And how you answer that question is an indicator of what you value and what you care about. Mm -hmm. So why wait again? Because tomorrow's not a given you could be diagnosed with the disease, you know, any, you could be who knows what's in front. So live that way now. Mm -hmm. And and by, by doing so your, the meaning and purpose in your life, you know, what will increase. And, you know, the number one predictor of happiness is human connection is spending time with your friends and spending time with your family. And that's what people that that's the regret people have when they're old and they're looking back. I wish I had spent more time with my family. Mm -hmm. So do it now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you never know, you never know what the next day holds, um, for you or for those you love. Um, you know, we don't know how much time we have. Right. So I, I totally agree with you. I think that's great advice. And I do think the more, and I I don't know that people always make this connection that you're describing around their physical bodies and their physical health, doing things that support their physical well-being and the connection to happiness. I think sometimes we disassociate the two things and we, we shouldn't, um, I don't, I know for me, you know, I probably in the past six months to a year, I have really focused on exercise and getting more sleep and meditation and all of these things, some of these things you're describing, it makes a world of difference to your mental health and your mindset and your happiness. And so I, I completely, completely concur with that. And what you said too, about, um, you know, the people that you're connected with, um, and I, I think who you surround yourself with. At least my experience has been if you surround yourself with negative, negative people. And, you know, sometimes you have them around you, if they're in your family or people you can't avoid, for some reason, you have to just kind of cope with it. But the people you get to choose, if you choose people that are positive and uplifting and have a good outlook and that are encouragers and cheerleaders, not people that are like bringing you down, that has a big, a big part of it too, for sure.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I would say this translates to social media so if you think absolutely. about facebook twitter instagram like if you're following people that make you or accounts that make you feel negative and frustrated and angry unfollow them you know you there's emotional yeah. contagion from people as well as social media and the internet so yeah be very intentional about that because that's your that's your psychological well-being and um i want to say something about what you said earlier yeah there absolutely is a disconnection in Western society about the mind and the body. You know, when we mm. are, if someone's depressed, you go see a therapist. If you have chronic lower back pain, mm-hmm. you might go see a chiropractor or take pain medication or go see a back doctor. And those are, it's, it's connected. It's all connected. Yeah. But you know, your body is telling you if, if you're, if you're having something wrong with your body that it, the first place to look is your mind, yeah. And if you are if you are having challenges with what's going on in your mind, are you taking care of your physical body? Because every single second they're connected. And I yeah. think, yeah, I agree. I think I think we forget that.
0: Well, and it becomes a little. I mean, it's a little bit of a. It's probably a whole other podcast, but it comes a little bit of a downward spiral because yes. you know the the Western, I sort of I think medical establishment in a lot of ways too if your body is experiencing issues, it's not the medical community is not really made to direct you to look into your in, inner self, right? Like your emotional self, right. your mental state, it's much more geared toward, well, let's, let's look at prescriptions. Let's talk about how to solve this problem, you know, very chemically right now. Right. And right. so it sort of, it just feeds on itself and it, it's a difficult, I think uh, downward spiral to get out of.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. And I mean, it's it's a fascinating because one of my friends was, is a trained doctor, and she I think she said in med school in all the years of how many years you studied to become a doctor, I think she said they spent four hours on nutrition. <laughs> Which it's if so you sad. think about it, it's so sad. Think, right, if you think about like this is what this is the fuel of our bodies. Or if someone is comes in and is having, you know, to not say, well, what I'm, I know, I'm sure it's probably changed for the better, but we need to be our own, you know, we need, we need to look at our body and mind as, as one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago. I think that the gentleman's name um, is Peter, a if I remember correctly, he's a nutritionist doctor, you know, focused on longevity. Um, So living a long and healthy life, you know, living as long as possible, but healthy. And he talks a lot about nutrition as being a big, big part of that. And so I I completely, completely agree with what you're saying. And I, I wish, you know, your friend that's the doctor that has had this experience in medical school. I wish there was some medical school out there somewhere who would, would focus more on nutrition because it's not, um, and I'm sure nowadays I'm sure there's someone somewhere doing it and I just, am not aware of it, but it's, it's not, uh, it's not the way it's always been. That's for sure. Right. No, I'm
1: sure that it's, Yeah. Changing. And of course, with, with, um, advancements and just more knowledge and information. Um, but, but, you know, we're unfortunately quick to say, Oh yeah, give me a pill for that. Oh, this, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the, it's probably the harder journey of going, okay, let me look at everything holistically and, and understand that, that it all, that it all affects it. Um, my Mm -hmm. mom gave me a book, I think it's called the body knows or, Mm. And it's called by Louise. Hay, and it's when and it has this, whenever something's wrong with my body, I go to it and I look and it's like, you know, for example, let's say I might get a cold sore because mm-hmm. sometimes I get those and, and it's, and it says anger, you know, and I'm like, usually it's like, yes, I am really angry, probably, <laughs> you know? So we yeah. need to, we need to use that as just like emotions or information when things are going on with our body that that's really valuable information.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I love that. I love that we've spent a little bit of time on this because I don't know that again, that we would, most people listening to the podcast would necessarily quickly associate this notion of being a happy leader with no, you actually do need to care about your physical health and your nutrition and exercise and sleep. I I think, um, I think it's great to have a little bit more dialogue there, which I'm glad we did because it's, uh, it is important and it's key, I think to, uh, to our success. So Tia, question for you, how can folks that are listening, learn more about what you do other than obviously reading your book, which we've talked about, and I'm going to make sure we we talk about a little bit more here um, on the the podcast. And as we promote this episode, but what can, what can folks do to learn more about you and your, and your work and what you do?
1: Thank you so much. So the best place is my website, arrive at happy.com. And that has all of the ways that I work with organizations with keynote talks and leadership training and consulting. And then my book, Be a Happy Leader is on there as well. And I also created a free challenge. So it's four short videos. And so if people go to happyleaderchallenge.com. They can watch these four videos and I give activities. And then there's you know stories and inspiration for people who want to to, you know, get curious in this journey. And then my Instagram is arrive at happy. I'm really active on LinkedIn and all the different social media channels. Um, I have YouTube and Facebook, of course, all of those ones as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope folks will go out and uh, take a look at all that you have to offer and all of those different uh, opportunities that are out there. So TL, my last question for you, this show is called the People Performance Podcast. My professional focus and my passion really since leaving that corporate life we were talking about a little bit ago is really in helping people to be their best version of themselves, believing that it's people, whether it's an individual person or a team of people or an organization, it's those people that create performance and success success, um, for themselves and for their teams and for their companies that they work for. So my question for you and the question that I ask all the guests that I have on the show is what do you want your legacy to be as it relates to people and performance? If you think about that, that deathbed that we were talking about, what is it Mm -hmm. that you, um, what is it that you're hoping for your legacy to be there?
1: What a beautiful question. I hope that my legacy as it relates to people and performance is that many, many people around the globe are inspired and motivated to choose happiness, to, un- to learn more about the science of happiness and neuroscience so that they positively impact their lives. You know, I think them, their friends and family, and then also that I am part of the happiness revolution for work, that I bring more happiness to, you know, to the, to the world of work.
0: I love that. That's beautiful. Tia, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the episode we just had with Tia Graham and the conversation that Tia and I had together. Um, Really great perspective, um, I felt. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like over on Apple Podcasts and share your perspective. Please give a comment, review, if you believe there's work that we could do together in this realm of people and performance, projects, change management, happiness, coaching to achieve your goals and dreams, uh, please reach out to me. Um, I love to help organizations, teams, and people identify opportunities and implement them to make them make both themselves and their organizations and their teams more successful. You can find me at Renee at ReneeVincelli.com or at LinkedIn. Or you can visit my website at www.reneevincelli.com. That is all for now, folks. Remember, people are the creators of performance. People are greater than performance. And people come before performance. Have a great day.